Hi, this is George Moffat, a.k.a. Victor Eugene Ibn Miriamna bin Sleiman Hana Ibn Sabah, a resident at Aldersgate, welcoming you to Aldersgate On Air. Welcome back, friends, to Aldersgate On Air. This is, of course, part two of our episode celebrating the amazing organization that is Our Bridge for Kids. And last time we talked to founder and executive director Silicon So about how Our Bridge is changing lives. And we even spoke to some of the kids who have actually had their lives changed by the program. This time around, we're going to hear another perspective from a gentleman who lives right here at Aldersgate. And he has an amazing story about how he found out his true lineage later in life, how he embraced his new identity, and how he became involved as a mentor with Arbridge. It's a truly inspiring story, and I'm excited to share it with you. So stick around, and welcome to Aldersgate On Air, George Moffitt. Hey, George, thanks for joining me today. I've been looking forward to chatting with you. Very good, Mike. Thank you for asking me today. Yeah, of course. So as you know, we've been chatting with Seal and the kids from Arbridge, and your name came up as someone who has a really cool story and a very unique tie-in to the program. From what I've been able to gather so far, you found out your heritage later in life, and subsequently you became a volunteer at Our Bridge, and through your relationship with the boy who shares your heritage, you also learned, at least subconsciously, that you may have retained some buried knowledge about your language. Am I on the right track there? It's Yeah, that's pretty close to it. Okay. Uh, it was... Um the, the Arbridge program, as you probably know, um, was a service to immigrant children, mm-hmm. and it was to help them in an after-school learning situation. Yeah. And uh, I told Syl I would participate, along with some others from Aldersgate, but um, I would, if possible, I would like somebody, a child, from uh, the Middle East, because... Uh, I had found out that I was of uh, Syrian descent, which uh, because I had been adopted and I didn't know I was adopted. Yeah. And so one thing led to another, and I told her that um, I found out on the eve of my seventy-fifth birthday that I had been adopted, and uh, there was no information at all about uh, what country the my parents were from or where who they were or anything like that. So I started a search, and in the um, uh, mostly online, and in the process of that, I uh, found out that my mother was Syrian, uh, that um, she had been um, taken advantage of was the term used at the time. She uh-huh. was like 16 years old, and the guy was like 40, and uh, my father. And um, uh, so uh, I was born out of wedlock. And uh, over a period of time, put up for adoption and um, was in a number of foster homes and things of that sort. And I was adopted uh, just before my fifth birthday. Okay. I had an Arabic name, but it had been changed to George Moffat by my adoptive parents, who never told me that I was adopted. And um, so anyway, because of all that, I finally found my birth mother. And uh, met her a number of times uh, in person as well as on the phone. And I met a very large extended Arabic family. And I had good 
good results off of all that. And uh, uh, she died. Well, my wife has uh, passed away six, um, six years tomorrow. And one week later, my mother died. Oh, wow. So I had two, uh, t- uh, two people close to me die uh, within a week. And um, uh, so anyway, I wanted a, a Syrian child or at least a Middle Eastern child because I thought I could relate to him. And, and uh, I did. Uh, they still assigned me to a young boy, about second grade, I think, from Syria. And uh, so we started bonding until the family moved away because they found employment. The father found employment uh, in uh, Charlotte somewhere. And uh, he was transferred to a different school. So that was that background. So it was the fact that I was 75 years old, found out I was adopted. I wasn't Scottish like I thought I was. Moffat's <laughs> a Scottish name. Okay. I was the president, second to the uh, to the. Uh, uh, clan chief uh, in the uh, UK had to resign because I don't have a drop of uh, Anglo-Saxon blood in me. And um, so uh, I had to uh, resign my position. Uh, wow. And, and I changed almost overnight from a Scottish heritage to a Syrian one and uh, met the family, as I say, the Syrian family in this country. Uh, probably half the family still in Syria somewhere. And um, that started a whole new, new life for me. That's that's amazing. And if you don't mind me asking, do you know your Syrian name? <laughs> you <laughs> laughed. <laughs> I'm getting down a rabbit hole, aren't I? Victor Eugene Ibn Miriam bin Sleiman Hana Ibn Sabah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It was one of those. Yeah, I always I always joke that I was in Pennsylvania. I was born in Pennsylvania, and I was a precocious child and applied at age five for a uh, driver's license, and they couldn't get that all on one side of the driver's license, so they just made it George Moffat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably not too far from the truth, right? (laughs) That's exactly So you found out when you were 75 that that more or less uh, all this stuff kind of came to pass and and that you had a different heritage. So. Obviously, that that changed kind of your perspective and, and you know your sense of identity and whatnot. Did that change the way that you approached like your day to day activities? Did it affect how you saw things in the world? Oh, absolutely! Because um, there is a Western way of thinking, and I was exposed to the Eastern way of thinking, which is considerably different. Sure. Um, not uh, in everyday life, for one thing, and spiritually also. Uh, my folks in Syria uh, were Orthodox uh, Christians, and um, so they have a different view of uh, Christianity than sure. uh, Westerners do. And um, the one thing that was in common, I noticed that uh, the Scots are pretty much still a tribal uh, kind of people, uh, clans and all that. And yeah. uh, uh, that's even stronger in the Middle East, uh, for sure. And uh, there was a very rich oral history that I was exposed to. It's amazing. Uh, the, the, these folks, my family members, know things that uh, uh, from their history that are from centuries back. And hence the kind of long name, you know, that uh, that's a way of, establishing your bona fides with uh, strangers. Hey, you know, I'm the son of this, the son of that. 
And they sign and finally somebody says, oh, I know Sabah, which means die maker. I know the die maker or I knew the family or you're good people, that kind of thing. Oh. And uh, or bad people. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, the other thing was that some of my first cousins, I have 32 first cousins. I went from about two to 32. And uh, that's the American side. And uh, a number of them served in the army. And uh, one fellow who's uh, but oh, he's easily 30 years younger than I am, if not more, um, served in uh, Iraq during the uh, first uh, Gulf War and um, was spoke Arabic and uh, had a lot of tales to tell about uh, their way of living and uh, what he experienced and how he was accepted, even though it was an army of, we were the army of occupation, that kind of thing. Sure. And uh, so I learned a lot about the heritage firsthand. And um, my birth mother, uh, here's another wild thing, read, wrote, and spoke uh, six different languages, English being one, but um, Arabic, Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, which she always reminded me was the language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic. Very ancient um, language. Uh, French, Italian, and uh, English. And um, I got my eyes opened. Uh, I was asking, my wife and I um, uh, were sitting at her kitchen table visiting. Um, this was the first day we had met her. And just getting to know her. And she had her younger sister there with her. And she was trying to... Um, recall an event that had occurred during in this country during her um, adolescent years. And um, her father, my grandfather, um, was accused of something. I'm not sure whether it was illegal or not. I don't think it was, but I think uh, it was accused of, I don't know, taking advantage of Syrian immigrants. And um, it turned out these were bad um, Syrians. And I asked her, what, what's a bad Syrian? And she was searching for a word. And she started speaking there. We had been speaking in English. She started speaking to her uh, sister in Arabic. And then I could tell the language changed in mid-course. And they were now speaking Aramaic. And then it switched to Hebrew. And finally, French. And she came back and said, these people who are the accusers, these people uh, were Bedou, Bedou, the bad people. And I thought about that, and I said, Bedou? You mean like Bedouin? That's it. The people who live out in the desert with the sheep, and they're bad people. And I said, the first thing that came to my mind, I said, you know, those were the people that the uh, the angels apparently came and announced the, the uh, birth of Christ. And uh, she, she smiled and said, yes, the bad people. <laughs> and then that opened up a whole way of how they view hospitality and uh, taking care of one another and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, Jesus really came to the outcast, not to the, the rich and well-connected. Yeah. And so we had a lot of conversations along that line as time went on. And it took them uh, 
trying to basically work that word out over the course of six languages to figure yeah, out in about in about, ten, in about 10 minutes as to what they were. <laughs> I, How do I know, describe I, this? Uh, yeah. Are they murderers or rapists or robbers? Yeah. Or what are they? No, they're bad people. You know? Yeah. It's and really funny were, when you get into the etymology and the origin of words, you know, how, how they, the translation gets, gets, it's kind of like that game of telephone, right? You stand with a can to your ear and a string and then, you know, 40 people later, <laughs> it's a whole different message. Yeah, exactly. What constituted them being bad was they were Muslim folks. Sure. And our family was Christian and they drank and they, um, she used the word uh, flanderers. That's that's a good good safe word. They were flanderers. <laughs> they drank alcohol. They yeah. got drunk, you know, and all the things that uh, a Muslim isn't supposed to do. So that made them a bad person. You know? Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm curious then. So first, how how did you how did you hear about the Our Bridge program? What drew you to that? Well. Uh, Aldersgate and Sills organization had been discussing a partnership and um, our CEO, uh, Susanna Pugh, Suzanne Pugh, uh, said that um, we had a building available on campus uh, that had been a senior center, not affiliated with Aldersgate, but we owned that building and that uh, Sills should take a look at it. And if uh, she thought it met their needs, uh, Aldersgate would make sure it was refurbished and suitable for children and that kind of thing. And um, it did. And uh, so Aldersgate and uh, Sill's organization was uh, became partners. And then Sill came to uh, Aldersgate to put on a program to see if there were elders in among our residency who would be interested in and helping these children basically learn how to read uh, English, how to you know help them with their vocabulary, uh, uh, help them with our customs and things of that sort. In other words, acclimate them to their new life. Sure. And um, so she'll put on this uh, uh, presentation for us. And after that, I've said I would be interested in in participating in it. I would like a. a help an immigrant child since my family had been immigrants and um, and were accused at their time of being uh, peasants and uh, uh, low, low, you know, low lives when actually they were rather <laughs> affluent people when they came here. But Okay. Then they lost everything, of course, in the move and all that. Sure. So you you became aware of this organization and you said, heck yeah, I, I, I want to help out with this. At what point did you meet uh, the boy? Uh, the first day of the first program. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And he had a younger brother and a little tiny sister, and they were in different stages of the program. I think, if I recall correctly, my, my student was in um, second grade, so the other boy might have been in first or kindergarten. The little girl was you know, younger than that. Uh, so I had contact not just with him, but with the siblings as well. So the whole and family then, or part of the, the family. With the family, yeah. And um, I did meet, um, I never met the father, but I met the mother. Uh, they were great people, just just as you know they would be. They sure. were good, good people. And they were uh, in, uh, wanted to uh, ensure that their children, were, like any parents would, uh, got a good education and could apply it and 
fit into society and become Americans, you know. And um, so I made a deal with him, my uh, second grader. I told him I spoke no Arabic, knew a word here or a word there. Uh, he spoke in pretty good English, actually. And I said, oh, I got a deal with you. I'll teach you uh, Americanisms. You teach me uh, some Arabic. And we said, okay. And that was a deal. Boom. You know, gave me the fist. That was a, that was a deal. The <laughs> handshake. Yeah. And so, um, uh, yeah, we did that. And I was uh, probably, I spent, I'm going to guess, about six months with him. Oh, wow. And uh, at, at that point, did you have any, like, as you were learning or, you know, psychologically relearning maybe some of these words, did anything jog anything in you? Did it seem familiar to you to recite words from that language? The, the thing that hit me uh, when I met my mother, my birth mother, um, she had asked me if... Um, I remembered anything about my early years. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently I'd been with her about eight months in a home front with mothers. And um, then uh, I was put into foster care. And I dippy bopped around between two or three uh, uh, foster children uh, or foster homes. Uh, was was in the orphanage a couple of uh, times. Uh, had a dim recollection of something happening in one of the orphanages. But um, she was getting to something, and she said, "Well, tell me what your do you have any uh, any favorite songs?" And I said, "Yes, I have a favorite song. It's You Are My Sunshine." Oh, that's interesting. Why that? I said, well, it was written and published in 1935, which was the year uh, in which I was born. And um, well, what do you remember about it? I said, I just like the tune. I just like the tune. And um, then I said, you know, it's not a, uh, a well, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. She said, that's interesting. She said, I used to sing that to you as a lullaby in Arabic. When that during that eight months period, so I, I got the impression I was sort of patterned to that um, that melody. I didn't remember any Arabic words at all, right? And um, then in response to that, I said to her, "Well, you know that um, it isn't really a lullaby." I said, "It's sort of a love song," and she said, "I know," and she said, uh, "Our family name is Sabah with a phlegm." And that means die maker. But if you say sabah without the phlegm, it means sunshine. You are my sunshine. And you are my sunshine. And uh, in fact, the only name I knew uh, was, um, I was called Sunny, S-U-N-N-Y, because I, she said I had a sunny disposition. And I remember that um, very well. Uh, that conversation very well, and I re obviously remembered the uh, the melody, and um, that prompted another memory of I went to kindergarten when I was five years old. Uh, I was adopted um, seventy five, no eighty, eighty years ago this month. I was adopted. I was, I was adopted right before my fifth birthday. And um, 
I was going to kindergarten with a little girl next door. We grew up in Pittsburgh, lived in a rough neighborhood. But um, I went to school, kindergarten with her. We walked on a busy street to school, which was probably about half a mile, three quarters of a mile away, hand in hand. And um, she said, uh, we better practice our names because my mother said the teacher is going to ask us what our name is and we got to we got to know. And obviously I had just been told my name was George Greenland Moffat. And so I said, my, okay, my name is George Moffat. My name is George Moffat. And she was saying, my name is Patricia Ann McDonald, Patricia Ann McDonald. And the reason why she was practicing her name was she was the youngest in her family and they called her babe. And her mom told her when the teacher asks you what your name is, uh, your name is not Babe, it's Patricia <laughs> Ann. I later talked to her. She Well, we ended up going to high school by coincidence. We ended up going to the same high school and graduating the same year. And I called her and asked her if she knew that I had been adopted. Uh, she said, oh, yes. She said, I remember uh, my mother sitting my brother and sister down at the kitchen table and telling us the Moffats have adopted a little boy. And you're never to say anything about that at all. She said, I didn't even know what adopted meant, but my mother had drilled that into us. That's why you were practicing your name because you had, I'd only been adopted a couple days before. And uh, so I was practicing my name. They're, they're program, programming you to it. Yeah, yeah. And for a different reason, she was, you know, reciting her name. Right. So, she remembered that very specifically. And yeah. um, that, that annoyed me, by the way, that nobody in the family, my family obviously knew I was adopted, but nobody in the family ever spoke about it. But, you know, relatively speaking, strangers knew it and kept quiet too, you know. Yeah, you're the last was, to know, You didn't right? talk about adoption back then, you know. Sure. sort of a stigma to, to it. And certainly if your mother hadn't been married, there was stigma to that. She was 19 when I was born in, my father was 40 so, and already married. <laughs> and also the fact that the region you came from at the time, uh, probably not looked upon in, in, uh, in the best of light given that, that time yeah. frame. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That story about the song is what I guess the point of all that was, you know, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And yeah. so when you, when you started talking, uh, with your new friend, um, how was that experience for you? Did you did you guys find that you were in fact teaching each other things about each oh, other? Yeah, because I asked him about you know where he came from and in Syria, and obviously they didn't come to the United States directly. They came through France, I believe. And uh, did he remember anything about you know those experiences? And I told him that he should cherish whatever memories he had mm-hmm. because someday they might. As in my case, they might prove to be very important uh, yeah. to help you orient yourself to who you really are. I, I remember um, waking up one night um, after I found out I was adopted, uh, crying, just woke up crying. And my wife asked me what was wrong. And I told her, uh, I'm a fraud. I've lived my life. I've lived a lie all my life. And I'm a fraud. And she... <laughs> 
she saw, she then figuratively patted me on the head and said, no, you're not, George. You, know, you, you are who you are. Uh, you know, you're successful. You've been successful in your own life. But, uh, but you just have new opportunities now. And, you, and my kids, I have four children, uh, unanimously uh, urged me to find out to meet my mother and to find out about, and two of them did actually meet her before she passed away. She was 99. Oh, wow. When she died. Yeah. Yeah. So what about the program about our bridge? You know, what, what do you think of the program? Um, what does it mean to you? Well, it got me involved in young people's lives, very young people's lives. And I think, I hope, uh, I think I was some, of some help to them, some like a mentor to them. They had they had some inferiority. The boy I was dealing with, especially, had some inferiority uh, feelings, and uh, I I related. To, that's the way I remember my childhood being, not knowing that I had been adopted, and but remembering, no doubts, subconsciously being in the orphanage. I was always hungry. I remember that. Uh, always moved around a lot. So I always felt a little bit insecure as a child. Always felt like I was an outcast because I was different. Didn't know how or why I was different, but I knew I was. Um, Fair-skinned family. I'm a dark-complected child with dark black hair, you know, black eyes. Um, I was different, didn't know why. And um, I could relate to them. And uh, they related to me and I related to them, I think. And I try to encourage them to, you know, uh, not to forget the things that they remembered or knew, to cherish them, but also to embrace what was new. And it told me I grew up in a time and place. We have trouble in this country with racism. Uh, we had trouble with racism, ethnicity, uh, religion, any, any, any uh, nasty word that you could think of, we applied to somebody who was different than we were, for whatever those differences supposedly were, it uh, rekindled in me the idea that uh, still late in life, I could be an influence in um, accepting immigrants, uh, accepting black people, accepting folks of different religions. There but for the grace of God go I, so to speak, you know. So my attitudes changed considerably in the last 10 years. I found out about all this in 2005, so it's been 15 years. So clearly to you, the the importance of this program and helping people acclimate to their new surroundings, but still maintaining a sense of their true identity, you think is important for a person? Oh, absolutely. One of the things Syl had uh, posted uh, on like a bulletin board was a uh, world map. And there were, uh, it showed, um, there was a little flag or a pin on it that showed the countries from which all these children came. And it was amazing how many countries uh, these children came from uh, because they were, you know, Africa, Middle East, Asia, uh, South America, Mexico, uh, China, um, uh, Russia, there were there were um, children from all over, all colors and complexions and languages and and uh, uh, so I can't speak highly enough of her. She, she and her group 
of teachers who are all dedicated folks. They were school teachers that were doing this on their after hours time. Uh, they had um, festival days, uh, bring your favorite dish day, uh, you know, share your dish, that kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, we, we're, I was exposed and these children were exposed to other, other folks, other customs, dress up day, you know, that kind of thing. And then you got to meet the families and the families had to participate. They, this wasn't after school care, just shove your kid into this program. <laughs> <laughs> they had they had to be supportive and yeah. uh, and um, participate in. They had training episodes too, uh, the classes and in Americanism and uh, where they could help, how they could help their children, things like money and the alphabet and American God help us, American slang. You know that doesn't make any sense to anybody, but whomever. Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful program, and uh, Aldous Gate supported it. Uh, until uh, uh, the pandemic, and uh, but we'll be back at it again, I'm sure. Yeah. With COVID, obviously, th- things change, but it sounds like this is a program that you will continue to be involved in when the opportunity presents itself. In whatever way, yeah. Well, obviously, Aldersgate has a commitment to diversity, inclusion, and equity. We hear that a lot about Aldersgate, and they that live it. very true. They breathe it. it. It's it's not just a saying. It, it's really their identity. So what does that mean to you now that you've kind of found another side to yourself? Does that commitment mean more to you now than it did previously? Oh, uh, you couldn't have put it better. Absolutely. Um, we seniors participate in a number of different activities and programs that it uh, not only for, you know, refugee children, but our neighborhood. Uh, which is a um, what are they? Uh, they they diver. It's a diverse neighborhood. They call it a um, changing neighborhood. I think is the term it's used. A lot of Hispanics, a lot of um, uh, African Americans, or or Africans, um, and pe- people of other um, other uh, origins, and um, Aldersgate's very much committed to being part of that program. For example, a good example, we have a new skilled nursing facility. Asbury might have heard that name. Oh, yeah. And um, there's a kidney dialysis um, program units there. It's a a licensee that's using the space to take care of uh, folks who have uh, kidney problems. And uh, Aldersgate finds out that... uh, uh, Kidney disease is more prevalent among um, Hispanics and uh, uh, black Americans than it is among Caucasians. So there's no, there's no, um, no facility in this area uh, for kidney dialysis. You have to go some distance to a, a hospital or a clinic, which involves, if you don't have an automobile, getting on a bus coming home on the bus uh, six to eight hours on the machine. Um, uh, the family may not be able to, they may not have an automobile. They may use public transportation. And uh, we have machines that aren't going to be used all the time. We could, we have a bus, several buses. We can go in the neighborhood and pick up people and bring them for their treatment and uh, uh, make that their, their unit. Um, another program is uh, affordable housing. 
uh, housing that uh, we have 331 acres, most of which is is grassland or, or beautiful woods. Uh, a couple old buildings have been torn down in one of the grassy areas, and why not build uh, affordable housing? Uh, not we're not talking about public housing. We're talking about affordable housing for for working families, working people who can't afford the rents and so forth in this area. And um, so we're sponsoring that uh, and co-partnered with a developer, architects, um, public health people, a government involvement to uh, uh, build a uh, affordable housing for working folks on our property and uh, uh, offer some programs that uh, we have that might be uh, agreeable to them, you know, in suit in suit into their lifestyle. So there's another effort. The board of directors has uh, been changed from all white male to uh, uh, people of color, females, a board that more accurately reflects this community. The one thing that uh, works against Aldersgate is um, we're still predominantly um, a somewhat affluent white community. Sure. And uh, so uh, part of the, uh, you know, this program with the affordable housing is to open up possibilities to seniors, especially. There'll be senior housing, by the way. Um, uh, programs that would be uh, uh, useful to, but not affordable by folks uh, who... Um, uh, live in this area, and uh, we can do it. And uh, so, elders have been part of the planning group. Where uh, I know we're going to be a part of the welcoming group, and and uh, and um, and then Aldersgate is also um, going into a management, helping the Jewish community build a Jewish senior center similar to ours but managed by the professionals from our campus who uh, are very skilled at uh, managing a, uh, a group, a group situation. And um, the, uh, even the, uh, the uh, Jewish um, retirement center is going to be diversified. It's a, to appeal to Jewish people, of course, where there's a Jewish tradition involved, but uh, you don't have to be Jewish to be, you know, to, to have a home there, just like you don't have to be Christian to have a home here. We don't have any, we don't have a problem so much with the, the religious uh, diversification. We have Catholics and Protestants and, and uh, Jewish folks and um, no folks with no religious background at all. And racially, we're not very diverse, not diverse at all. Yeah, working that way. We have yeah, not yet, but you'll get there. You'll get there. Yeah. Well, George, man, you're you're a wealth of knowledge, and I'm sure you've probably got so many stories bouncing around in that noggin of yours that I could just pick your brain all day if we had the time to do so. But uh, what I want to do, lastly, to kind of close this out, is if you have any final thoughts on the Arbridge program, and what would you like to say to Sill and the kids? Keep it up. Keep going. Keep plugging. Uh, tell us what you need. Help us get more seniors uh, active in uh, participating in the in the program. Uh, we recently have added um, uh, a number of uh, 
new apartments that have been by and large uh, attractive to uh, a younger, older group, younger folks, people in their late 60s, early 70s, get them involved. Uh, they'll have more stamina than George had, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, get involved also. Still don't lose. She's a very, very energetic lady. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, fun to be with. And uh, keep it up, you know, uh, keep plugging ahead. Uh, you're making progress. You really are making progress. And and um, uh, it's good for the kids and it's good for us too, the older folks. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. George, I'd like to thank you for hanging out with us today on yep. uh, Aldersgate On Air. It's been an absolute honor talking with you. And I'm sure at some point you and I will end up chatting again because there's a lot of cool stuff happening over there at Aldersgate. And yeah. we really here on this program like to share sure. all of your awesomeness. Yeah. So thank you again. It's, it's just been a pleasure. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you for asking me today. Well, there you have it, folks. Did I not tell you that you are in for an absolutely amazing tale? No doubt, some of you at Aldersgate have heard George's story already, but for those of you who hadn't, I encourage you to consider George's words in the words of Silicon So and the Arbridge Kids. There's still a lot of work to do and a lot of barriers to break down. I've had a great time sharing the story of Arbridge with you. Don't forget, you can reach out to Arbridge directly at joinourbridge.org for more information on how you can help. And while you're playing around on the interwebs, remember to send us your thoughts, questions, comments, and ideas to onair at aldersgateccrc.com so we can continue to bring you the best show possible. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time at Aldersgate On Air.